0: story walk
1: a podcast by storytellers for storytellers and we hope that means you whether you identify as a storyteller with a capital s or if you just like to tell stories in your work say as a teacher librarian counselor or a community leader and not forgetting if you are a parent or a grandparent looking to share stories and values with your family And since the Story Walk is presented by FEAST, the Federation of Asian Storytellers, our focus is on sharing Asian stories, celebrating tellers from the Philippines in the East to Turkey in the West and countless storytelling communities that lie in between.
2: Everything starts with a dream. A dream to fly resulted in a plane. A dream to have thrill and excitement in a park resulted in the Disneyland. And I think stories make us dream. So my dear listeners, in today's
3: episode of Dreams and Realities, we bring to you some stories which start with a dream. But we will have to see whether they become a reality. Let me share one very interesting thing about this
4: episode. This July episode, to be honest, is like a dream. Because the three producers, that is Prakriti, is in Canada. Kausar
2: is in Singapore. And I, Dharanya, am in India. And do you know why we say it is like a dream? That's because at any point of time, one of us is in dreamland. How's that for a fun fact? (laughs) We will listen to some dreamy stories in our miso, dim sum and fortune cookie our entree is all set with how to decorate your story with props of different kinds by our in-house expert roger jenkins in our pantry discussion today we will be
3: revealing our recurring dreams and our perspectives on them Our first segment, Miso, is specially for kids, where we have a story by Lindsay that comes from a far away land in the Middle East, Palestine. Now, here's a challenge for you. Listen to the story and drop us a line on our email, Storywalk at gmail.com, whether you think this story is a dream or a reality. Lindsay loves stories telling, listening, reading,
4: and creating. They all bring much fun and joy. She loves stories of plays and landscape and recently created a new story as a cultural and community response to climate change. Co-author of Perthshire Folk Tales, she especially enjoys sharing tales from her home area.
5: Hi, I'm Lindsay Gibb, and I'm a Scottish storyteller based in Perthshire in Scotland. I find it in Gabra the Ghoul and other Palestinian folktales by Sonia Namir. And Sonia herself got it from traditional sources. And I have Sonia's blessing to retell the story here on this podcast. In Palestine, there was a king. And he was good and he was wise and people loved him. And he had a son who was brave and strong. And he loved to read. The king was proud of his son in almost everything but one. He would not get married. Son, son, you need to take a wife. Why will you not marry? I haven't found a wife yet. What are you looking for in a wife? he said. Oh I would like a wife who will tell me stories. In fact I want a wife who can tell me a story that begins and ends with a lie. Well, how are you going to find a wife like that? Oh, that's easy, said the prince. We're going to throw a party. And so the proclamations went out throughout the land. And when the day arrived, the prince was there in all his finery, sitting comfortably on cushions. And the line of women snaked around as far as the eye could see. The first woman walked in, a beautifully bejeweled princess. And she sat down and she said, once upon a time. No, 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 said the prince. I want a story that begins and ends with a lie. And the next woman came in and she sat down and she said, in a land far, far away. No, 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 said the prince. And the next woman came in. and She said, a long time ago. No, 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 said the prince. And so it went on, woman after woman. And after a long time, The sky began to grow dark and the day was coming to an end and the line of women was very short the prince was tired when a young woman came in dressed in a plain outfit with a simple pleat in her hair she sat down and she said when i went to my grandparents wedding and the prince sat up and leaned forward she said they gave me an egg as big as a watermelon and the colour of the silvery moon. Well on the way home I practised throwing it from hand to hand when <gasps> suddenly I dropped it and it hit the ground with a great crack. And what should come out that egg but a great big rooster the size of a horse. What could I do with a hoot rooster the size of a horse? Well ride it of course. So I jumped on its back and we went north and we went south and we went east and we went west. We went to the forests and the mountains and the sea and the desert. And I rode that rooster so long until I realised its back was getting sore. So I went to the medicine man and he told me to crush the juice of a date at noon and rub that juice on my rooster's back before night. So that's what I did. And then I went to sleep. the next morning I woke up and there was my rooster and growing out the back of my rooster was a huge big date palm and at the top of that palm was some of the most luscious looking dates I had ever seen. So I took some stones and I threw them at the dates and they fell down and mm, they were every bit as tasty as they looked. But as I ate the dates I suddenly realised the stones I had thrown hadn't come down. So I decided to climb the deep palm that grew out the back of my rooster that came from the egg my grandparents gave me. So I began to climb and scrabble and scramble all the way up to the top till I eventually got there and pulled myself up to the top and there (gasps) was the most beautiful fertile land at the top of my deep palm that grew out the back of my rooster that came from the egg that my grandparents gave me. Well, what could I do with land like that but farm it. So I sowed my crop in the morning and by the afternoon it was ready to harvest. And after I'd harvested it all I had realised there was one sesame seed missing. And I went looking for it and I found an ant scurrying away with it. So I chased the ant and I grabbed the seed and I pulled and between us the ant and me fought for it, pulling and pulling and pulling until suddenly cracked. The seeds split open and gallons and gallons of sesame all came out. It was a second harvest. Well, the next day I decided to plant watermelon. So I sowed them in the morning and by afternoon they were ready to harvest. And as I went down a row, at the very end there was a great big watermelon. But it was blue and square. Well. It looked tasty so I took out my 20-foot sword and I cut a slice and just as I was about to bite in I saw that there was a staircase in the middle of my watermelon that grew on the land that was at the top of the deep pan that grew at the back of the rooster that came from the eggs my grandparents gave me so what could I do but follow that staircase down and around all the way to the bottom until I came out into a busy market place, with everybody calling their wares, with the sights and smells and sounds and colours all around me. It was so busy. And as I walked around looking at everything, I saw an old man sitting hunched, looking sad. and Beside him was his donkey, which lay on its back with its hind legs crossed, its foreleg behind its head, smoking a pipe. And I went to the old man, I said, What's the matter? Why are you so sad? And he said, look, look at my donkey. He won't move. Oh, and the donkey looked at us and blew a smoke ring. I'll help you, I said. You get his head and I'll get your tail. And so the old man and me, one, two, three, pooh! And the donkey didn't move. And again, one, two, three, pooh! <sighs> one more time, one, Two, three, poop, pop! Oh, the donkey's tail came off in my hand. You, shouted the old man, you broke my donkey! And the old man was shouting and screaming and soon a huge crowd formed around us. And they all saw me and they shouted, punish her, punish her, punish her. And soon two guards appeared and they took me by my elbows and they marched me over to a great cannon where they stuffed me inside and lit the fuse and boom! They shot me into the sky where I soared high into the air until suddenly I was tumbling, plummeting to the ground when I landed at the prince's party. Well the prince laughed and clapped his hands. He had met the woman he wanted to spend the rest of his life with. But what happened next? Well that is another story and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed telling it. Thank you.
2: for sharing that wonderful story i had not heard this story before and now it makes me wonder can sometimes lies help you to realize your dream and is it worth it the next segment is dim sum for adults where poonam joshi is bringing a story from the dreamy hills of uttarakhand which is in the north of india
4: Unam Joshi is an accomplished educator with an experience of over 15 years. She is a passionate storyteller, and her repertoire includes stories from the Indian mythology and folk tales from all over the globe. She often infuses Indian classical ragas in her performances to enhance the listening experience. She is a co-producer of Call of Duty, a podcast which features the stories of the soldiers from the Indian Armed Forces. A dreamer, she believes life is a festival, celebrate it with stories, listen to many, tell a few and write at least one. When not telling stories, she writes, reads, paints and weaves stories.
1: Tharo, Bolla Keddy Rumjuma, Hai Mutima Rumjuma, Hai Mutima Rumjuma, Tilo Tharo, Bolla Juma Rumjuma, Hai Mutima Rumjuma, Hai Mutima Rumjuma. Her voice filled the valley with musical notes as she sang every morning. Her spirit as free as the clouds floating in the azure skies. Her innocent laughter drifted in all directions with the wind, soothing every heart that heard her. Gauri, the ten-year-old, was everybody's lucky charm in the village. They all adored her, for she was a gifted child with kindness. She would lend a helping hand to the old woman who could barely carry the pot of water home. She walked along with the shepherds, giving them company when they took the cows to graze in the green meadows. She picked wood for cooking from the forest for their poor neighbour. She even plucked fruits and berries, filled her little basket and offered them to all the passers-by. And in return, she was welcomed in every house, big or small. They asked her inside and served sweets and milk and fruits, whatever was available with them. And in all this, she would always forget to see the sun. And as soon as the sun started rolling behind the mountains, making way for the dark shadows to cover the scarlet skies, she would start running home. She knew Ma would be waiting. Her mother would be right at the door. Looking for her in the direction of the muddy serpentine path, her eyes would light up seeing her little Gory, for she was all she had. Mama, what a lovely day it was. I went up that hill and got these flowers for you. Auntie Manju was remembering you and the cow Kamli has given birth to a little cute calf. Kishi's grandfather is unwell. She went on and on with her stories. Every night, after dinner, Ma and Gauri lay on the grass. Under the night sky, bejeweled with thousands and thousands of stars twinkling over them. Ma, the stars are so beautiful, aren't they? Yes, my child. Look at the moon, Ma. Doesn't it look like the nose rings of the women in the big house with the red and white beads and small trinklets hanging along the nose ring, making sweet sounds every time they move their face. But their nose rings are golden and the moon is silver. Mali silently looking at the moon. Ma, why don't you wear a nose ring? Because your dad is not with us. Oh, Ma, when will I get the nose ring? When you grow up and get married. But remember, my child, with the nose ring come a lot of responsibilities. Hmm. Ma sighed deeply. And listen, now it's time. You must sleep. Mother visibly looked annoyed. They moved inside the hut and soon Gauri was asleep. In her dreams, she adorned a beautiful gold nose ring, the only dream she cherished silently in her heart. Years passed by and Gauri grew up to be a beautiful young maiden. One day, the family of the big house approached Gauri's mother to ask her hand in marriage for their son who was a wealthy merchant. Gauri was elated for her dream of getting That golden nose ring was coming true. And that was all she knew about marriage. With a heavy heart, she left her mother's house and walked gracefully into her new big home. Once in her room, she headed straight to the big oval wooden framed mirror. She was greeted with a smile by a queen in fine silk bridal dress, and a precious gold nose ring. (laughs) She giggled innocently, for she saw her dream fulfilled. Gauri was now the effervescent, pretty bride of the family and was loved by all for her innocent charm and carefree attitude. The elders in the family thought she is still too young and would soon learn the ways of the home. And the children, oh, they loved playing with her, for she was now their partner in crime. Her husband was mostly out in town doing his business. And whenever he returned, in months, he got gifts for his beautiful bride. As his business grew, he took pride in adding a little more gold to the nose ring, for that was the way of showing prosperity in the village. The bigger, the heavier the nose ring, the richer the family was. In the beginning, Gauri loved this. But soon, the joy started withering away. The heavy weight of the nose ring and life started showing upon her. She was now a mother of two girls, handling all domestic chores and the family matters. The beautiful nose ring had now become a burden. And she thought of removing it and keeping it aside. I will ask him this time when he comes. She thought to herself. He returned home richer and asked her for the nose ring as more gold had to be embellished on it. Gauri thought for a while and asked, Can I remove it and keep it in my trunk? As it's getting very difficult to manage all the household work with its weight. I will wear it for special occasions before she could even complete her plea for the first time her husband shouted at her are you mad you want to bring a bad name to my family how will the people know we are rich and prosperous if you walk around the village without the nose ring never ever ask this again and he took the nose ring to the goldsmith boasting about his flourishing business to all he met on his way once again The new, heavier nose ring sat on Gauri's pale face. The brilliance of the nose ring was now brighter than the shine in her eyes. The sound of the trinklets had drowned the feeble sound of her laughter. No one noticed her. Soon her husband went away to amass more wealth, and she carried the burden on her heart in silence. One day, as she stood in front of the big oval wooden framed mirror. A stranger with dull unhappy eyes and a shiny big nose ring stared at her. She no longer could bear the pain. Suddenly the room shrunk. Her dream fell apart along with the nose ring dripping her nose. Blood pouring down her face. Gory fell into a heap and she faded away. She heard a familiar gentle voice with the nose ring. Come a lot of responsibilities, my child.
3: Thank you, Poonam. Those innocent dreams, those yearnings of the child's heart sometimes turn out to be harsh realities. And they lead not to dreams but nightmares
2: moving on to our next segment ace the story it has also been a dream we began with finding the right story to tell mapping your story stepping into it emoting adding sound effects and today we are taking one step further we are adding props to our stories To guide us, we have Roger Jenkins who is known to use various kinds of props from funny headgears to puppets to make the stories alive. He is truly the master of all. Roger Jenkins was a drama teacher
3: and theatre practitioner long before he discovered storytelling as his art form. From his days directing the deaf actors in high theatre, Singapore's Theatre of the Deaf, and with his love of mask and mime, he's clearly been interested in the non-verbal and visual elements of a story. Perhaps it's this showman in him that often draws him to include a prop in his telling. Whether it is a magical set of flowers appearing at his fingertips, an umbrella used as a variety of different things during a story, or fan streamers evoking a rising wall of flame. He seemed a natural choice for us to talk about how to integrate props into a story. Welcome, Roger, to this expert segment.
4: Thank you for accepting to be part of it. Thanks.
6: It's a delight to be back and I'm glad to help out and to talk about something that I really enjoy doing in my storytelling practice.
4: Roger, we have seen you work with puppets and other props in your storytelling sessions would you like to throw some light on it?
6: So perhaps we should start with the kind of why and the when of using props and then go maybe on to the how and possibly the where do we find them.
4: Thank you Roger that is making my job much easier. So tell us Roger why at all would we want a prop in a storytelling session?
6: Well, the first thing is that a story may actually require it. So I have a story about a message in a bottle. So I have an old ginger beer bottle. It was nice drinking the ginger beer. And I had great fun making the message, which is then rolled up and kept inside the bottle. And it becomes a nice surprise in the story. Or it may be that a prop can help you to show to your audience something which they not maybe familiar with, so I have a story about a calabash. Huh? Uh, that's just a large seed pot, which you can find in many parts of Asia and Africa, for example. It's often used as a container. In my story, it's a large calabash of your best wine. And for people to be able to see this and to pass it around, it gives them a real sense of understanding. I have another story about the willow pattern plate. And this comes from the late uh, 18th century when China was becoming more popular on British tables, and the manufacturers wanted to encourage more people to buy their China, and so they commissioned an artist to create a pseudo chinesey folk tale uh, of love and thwarted romance, and this was then painted onto the plate. And as I tell the story, it's great to actually have the plate, though naturally I don't pass that around the audience for obvious reasons. I have another story uh, about the da ching, which is the Chinese weighing scale. So having the object can really help your audience understand. Mm.
4: Wow, you have right away given us so many variety of props that we can take to the story sessions. Very interesting. So, Roger, when exactly do we bring in the prop in the story?
6: I could use the prop to trigger a story. So uh, I've done that where I have might have a table uh, on which a number of props are displayed, and then I invite the audience to select a prop, and I then tell them a story that is inspired by, triggered by, involving that particular object. So for example, I have a wonderful, large, heavy, key, the kind of thing that might unlock the cell that keeps this poor prisoner. Or I have a a model of a biplane. This was the kind of plane that was popular in the 1920s. I tell a story about the first woman who managed to circumnavigate the globe in a plane, and it shows how small her plane is. It was an open cockpit, and how difficult it must have been for her to fly.
4: That's interesting, Roger. Those examples were really evocative to envision how and when the props are used in the story. When we say props, do they always mean literal things?
6: Yeah, not always uh, literal things. Uh, Props can symbolise something else. So, for example, I have a number of fans and attached to each fan is a strip of cloth, maybe 40 centimetres wide and 1.5 to 2 metres long. And one is flame-colored, another is water-colored, and the third is rainbow-colored. And so with the fire, I can start, and I'm flickering, waving the fan low down to the ground, and the flames get higher and higher and higher. With the rain, of course, it starts the other way. We start very high, and we get lower and lower. And if I don't want to do it, I have uh, a couple of each colour. I would get the kids, two kids up to be the flames on either side of me or the rain falling down. Uh, I also have a couple of like gymnastic streamers uh, and these can wave as single uh, lashings of rain which you can wave over the audience. And so it all helps to create the atmosphere and develop a sense of participation too, making it very visual for the audience. And also, one of the good things about using a non-literal prop is that it really stimulates your audience imagination. The moment that you show something and say, uh, this is the crown, then of course that's what the crown must look like. Whereas if you're just telling the historian and say the king put on the crown, then the kids will be imagining their own. And it so happens I do have uh, a crown, and I would wear that as a role signifier. So I also have like a pair of uh, very round metal framed glasses, which I tend to use for my grandpa or grandma in the story. And the prop is just a way of letting the audience know that when I'm wearing that, I am playing this particular role, because perhaps there's a, a dialogue, and I'm kind of switching in and out in the story.
4: So tell us, Roger, how do you source these props? where do you get them or buy them
6: well sometimes i go looking for them i'm you know on ebay searching for a particular thing, uh, often magic, for example. So uh, magic elements can just introduce a surprise. So in a story, I'm looking for uh, an arrow, and I, I point to a kid in the audience and say, look, oh, it's just over your head. Can you grab it? He grabs it, thin air. I say, throw it to me. And he throws it to me, and I reach up and catch it. And I have an expanding cane uh, that I've kept in my pocket. And I, at the moment, I open my hand in order to catch the arrow that is thrown. Of course, the cane expands, and... Tch- oh my goodness me, I've caught his arrow in my hand. Uh, Or I have uh, magic flowers that I keep in my pocket, and I can again take this out in the palm of my hand, and I produce a series of eight or ten flowers uh, as they grow magically, spontaneously. And and this is a wonderful surprise element. It, It forms the end of a story which otherwise perhaps might end with a bit of a downer, having the Flowers to appear magically always evokes that, oh, wow, element to a story.
4: Using props seems like a lot of fun, Roger. It definitely is meant to enthrall the audience. So, do you hunt for and choose props through the internet, always?
6: Well, no, not just online. I mean, when I'm travelling, oh, I'm always looking for things. It drives my wife crazy, yes. Uh, Last time I was in India, for example, I picked up a beautiful peacock, a shadow puppet and a tiger, magnificent leather puppet. I'm always looking for like noise sound makers, traditional instruments that are easy to play, percussion instruments for making the sound of thunder or rain or the sound of frogs croaking, birds chirping, whistles, that kind of thing. So those are always fun to look for, often very cheap and easy and light to carry. So be on the lookout, see what you can find. And there have been times when I've seen, oh, that's a fabulous thing, I want to have it. And then when I get home, I have to try and find a story that I can work it into. Hmm.
4: Ah, the joy of serendipity. Like we just accidentally came across something in a place we were least expecting to find.
6: Oh, you do come across treasures, don't you? I love going into uh, antique shops or little uh, curio places uh, where things that have no value to other people can have tremendous possibilities for a storyteller. Uh, Coins, heavy coins, that make a nice clinking, clanking sound when you might have them in a leather pouch and give that some weight, you know, because the modern coins are so thin and, and cheap, aren't they? Or I found this wonderful, small, enameled bottle. Did it hold perfume? or was it poison? And this is a great thing that's easy to, to pass around and kids can't resist having, you know, taking the top off and having a quick sniff. So props are great for engaging that the senses and sparking the imagination, definitely.
4: Is there anything more you would want to share with us, Roger, when it comes to choosing and using props?
6: And so the last thing I want to say is about how you handle a prop Because it's very important that you use it, handle it, hold it in a way that fits the imaginative context of the story. The crown that you have, unless you are good friends with uh, Elizabeth, is not going to be a real crown. It's going to be made of plastic or cloth or who knows what. But if you pick it up and you hold it respectfully and you place it on your head reverentially and the moment that you put it on, you transform yourself and become... Royal Then because you have endowed it, invested it with that value, importance, then the kids will see it, or your audience will see it as being important. If you picked it up as just a piece of old plastic that you bought for $2.50 at your local party joke shop, then of course it's meaningless. So how you handle the object? how you pick it up, the moment that you show it. I've talked about the surprise element of revealing a piece of magic just like that. When it comes into the story, not only how you pick it up from wherever you've placed it, but how you put it back. If you just toss it to one side, again, you're saying this is casual, it's not important. So do think about how you handle it, and that would also suggest to you that you don't want to have too many props in a story. I do have one story, it's a chain story, and I begin by introducing all the props, and there are probably about a dozen of them. Uh, and it's, I lay them out in sequence, and as I get to each one in the story, I hold it up, but I then use them as a visual cue for my audience, because it's one of those stories where the refrain gets longer and longer and longer and longer. And so by the end of the story, uh, the mosquito buzzed in the elephant's ear. The elephant went stomp, stomp, the rock went rolled down the hill into the pond, splash. The water chased after the fire. The fire burnt the dog's tail. The dog, woof, woof, chased the cat, meow, meow. The cat bit the rat. The rat went squeak, he bit the hunter, ow. The hunter fired his arrow, hit the tree. The bird went squawk and the seeds, wee, splat into the boy's hand that is a heck of a lot of things for the audience to remember, even for me to remember. And so having the props on the table for all those things helps me to get my sequence right. And of course, because I've actually laid them out on the table, I'm actually picking one up and then the next and then putting it down and getting to the next. So I'm not actually juggling more than one prop in my hands at any one time.
4: Thank you, Roger. That was such sound advice to use props wisely. Handling objects indeed is so important while telling stories. They can engage or confuse the audience. Thank you once
3: again. That was very useful, Roger. And I am surely going to keep my eyes peeled to look out for interesting props around me. Now, without much ado, let's get into the pantry. Where, for the first time in the history of Storywalk, Walk, Kausar, Dharanya and I are revealing something very close to us. Letting you in our personal recurring dreams. To know what the others feel and probably find the reason why they keep
2: coming back to us. Welcome to our Pantry Discussion in which we will share our recurring dreams and try to help each other understand the going-ons of our subconscious mind. Oh, Kausar, that's very interesting. Shall I go first?
4: Um, I have been having this constant scary dream. There are red ants crawling over every strand of my hair. I can't see myself fully. But... I can only see the close-up of my scalp. It's covered with red ants walking in lines without breaking the line. Oh, this is so disturbing, even as I am
2: narrating it to you. That sounds like a very scary nightmare. And maybe, is it because you are tensed about something? I think you need to take some deep breaths and relax. I hope that works for you, Dharanya. And then, now, can I have my turn? Every night, I dream that I am climbing an endless staircase. I go up and up and up, never reaching the top. And finally, when I wake up, I am so tired that I want to fall asleep again. What do you make out of that, Prakriti? Can you help me?
3: Oh, Cossar! I think you are too hardworking, and you work even in your dreams. (laughs) You need to go on a vacation, surely. This was wonderful. It reminds me of a funny anecdote. Once a man went to a doctor and said, Doctor, doctor, I am having every night one dream, which is that I am a horse taking part in a race. I wake up tired every morning. Please give me some medicine to stop this dream. The doctor gave him the medicine and said, This will do the needful. He said, Thank you, thank you. I will start it from tomorrow night. Now the doctor was puzzled and asked, Why tomorrow? Start from today. Oh, today is the final doctor. He replied, If you have any any more interpretations of why my co-producers are getting these dreams, please write to us an email at storywalk at gmail.com.
2: After all these dreams, let's come back to reality. The reality is that Feast is bringing you so many events in August.
3: Wasaf, wait, wait. First, I want to share a sound bit from David Novak, who would be having a workshop in the Learning Festival by Feast in September.
7: Okay, so in my workshop, there's going to be two parts, really. The first is called Massaging the Story, and the second is Exercising the Listener. So when I talk about massaging the story, I want you to imagine a sculpt preparing to work in clay. The clay sits in a hard block. The sculptor begins by kneading and massaging the clay to soften it and to inspire creativity. This muscular interaction with the material is a crucial part of the creative and interpretive process. So, by analogy, to prepare our work with stories, we also may benefit from kneading and massaging the material. This is what I mean by massaging the story. How can we soften the story? How can we get it into our muscles and minds? And what might we discover by doing so? Let's play.
3: Now coming back to the events in August.
2: 5th of August, we have a monthly story swap. And this time, we are focusing on super short stories. Last day to submit application is 25th of July. So do hurry and sign up. Besides that, on the 17th of August, we have an interactive webinar with Joe Henwood called Transplanting Fairy Tales. In this webinar, we will have a look at the history of fairy tales and how they have travelled the world and how we can adapt them to our own culture. Now for the best part. Drum rolls please. Feast is turning 4 on August 24th. So come one, come all for an all-inclusive games night organized by Jem, Prakriti, Ala and Nandita. On behalf of the Storywalk team, we wish feast a very happy birthday. So put on your party hats and we would love to see you there.
4: Coming to our last segment, Fortune Cookie. Today we have a multilingual story by one of our producers, Anamika, and her friend, Svee Yan, telling their tale in tandem, in English and Chinese.
3: Anamika Bhatti, an educator working with children, nurturing their creativity by bringing stories to life through drama, role-play and activities, ensuring engaging and holistic learning. Someone who believes that stories are the best way of connecting and communicating
2: with each other. Yen is a storyteller from Singapore. She has stories for all age groups, from age 3 to 93. Previously a school teacher, Yen loves to take people on a journey of imagination to see through the mind's eye and to travel to far-off places.
8: In a small village in China there lived a boy named Ma Liang. Even though he was poor, he was kind and always ready to help everyone. Ma Liang worked at a farm. He would take the cattle out every morning to graze in the field and bring them back in the evening. His favorite thing to do as he waited for evening was to draw beautiful pictures on the ground using sticks or stones. Sadly, no one really got to see these pictures as they were out in the field and would disappear with the wind or rain. At times, when he saw beautiful things, he would go home and draw them on the walls. It was that time of the year when everyone was busy cleaning to welcome the new year. Dolls had been put up filled with goodies, toys, games, activities and gifts. Among them was a stall with a painter giving classes to children. Malyang stood there, staring, staring at the paintbrush. He was too poor to afford a paintbrush. (gasps) He had an idea. He asked if he could attend the class and use the painter's paintbrush. And in return, he could help around the
0: stall. Ha 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 ha! Chung chung hai Everyone there laughed at him and threw him
8: out. He walked back home feeling so sad. On the way, he saw an old man sitting under a tree. The old man begged for food. Ma Liang looked at his only bun and without a hesitation gave it to the old man and asked him, Do you have
0: a place to stay? Lao Ren shuo ta 于是, as the
8: old man walked into the house, he was amazed at how good the drawings were on the wall. That night, as he slept on the floor, Ma Liang had a dream. In it, the old man had, that he had just helped gave him a paintbrush and said Xiao
0: di di, wa ni de hua hua zhen mei. Ni de xin di shan liang. Wa Ju song ni zhe zhi hua bi. Ni yao yong ta zuo shan shi. When ma liang got up the
8: old man had disappeared. Instead, on the bed was a paintbrush. Liang was so happy to see that. He quickly used it to draw a butterfly on his wall. <gasps> to his surprise, it came to life. It fluttered and flew out of the window. Now, there was no stopping Liang. Everywhere he went, he helped people. As the old man had instructed, do good deeds with the paintbrush. He drew for the poor and the needy. And if someone was starving, if they needed water for the crops,
0: 马良立刻拿出神笔画一条河。And during winter, Ma Liang Li Kanachu Shenpi Hua wun wanda pei White Tao.
8: All the poor knew about Ma Liang and his brush. Words started getting around, and it
0: reached the Emperor. Tan Ching Pu the Huang Di Ji Ma Liang Hada Shen Pi.
8: Saying that, he sent his men to bring the paintbrush to him. Once he got the brush, he locked the boy away. The emperor wanted to show off. And so he invited lots of important people and his family members to a big feast. And he planned to draw everyone's favourite Food, and to give them gold as gifts.
0: Huang di too shanpi. Hat
8: The day came, all were dressed in their finest clothes and ready to eat. The Emperor said, with a big sheet of paper and started painting. But nothing happened. He tried on another paper. Nothing happened. And another and... He tried and tried. Next to him lay a huge pile of painting but no food. The boy refused, saying, I only draw what the poor need, not for the rich to have fun. The old man in my dream told me to use it to help the poor and needy. The emperor got angry
0: and told Ma Liang, Ma Liang,
8: Afraid of him, Ma Liang agreed. He drew a grand feast for all the guests who were starving by now. But that was not enough. The emperor was very greedy and asked Ma Liang to draw a mountain made of gold. I will go there every time I need gold, said the emperor. Ma Liang knew that the emperor would never be satisfied and would keep asking for more. So he played a trick. He made a mountain far away and it was surrounded by sea. Poof! It became real.
0: And so Ma Liang drew a big ship.
8: The emperor got in and set sail. Just then, Ma Liang drew heavy rain and a storm. And the wind started to blow so hard. And the sea had great big waves, and the ship started to lose
0: control. Ma who thinks the
8: ship was blown so, so, so far away. That till today, no one knows where it landed. Maybe at the Golden Mountain, or maybe reached an island, or it might have sunk. Nobody knows. As for Ma Liang, he returned to the village, and he helped many people on the way. No one dared to take that magic brush from him after that. But everyone who needed his help, New way to find him. Or sometimes he found them.
4: Thank you so much for that tandem tale.
2: I thoroughly enjoyed it. With this, we come to the end of our July episode, Dreams or Reality? If you like this episode, do write to us and don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and families. Follow Feast on Instagram and Facebook for updates and keep dreaming. This is Prakriti
3: saying sayonara, zai chian, alvida, goodbye. Till we meet again next time with a new theme, new stories and a new set of producers.